So why does it matter? You can almost imagine one of the Corinthians sort of putting that question on the table with the Apostle Paul. Come on, Paul. Why does it matter? What's the big deal? Why are you going to expend so much energy on looking at the future and trying to figure out what's coming down in the future for us? After all, you know, we believe in Jesus. The Corinthians want to say, we believe the gospel. We believe Jesus died and rose again. Believe he died for our sins, rose on the third day. We're on the same page there. Why does it matter what we think about the future? Isn't the gospel enough? The question's easy to imagine for us. It's easy to imagine for me, because in the last 14 or so years, the same question has been put to me a number of times. In fact, of all the questions I've received in a pastoral context, this may be one of the most common ones. Life after death, disembodied spirits, resurrected bodies. What, what's, what's the big deal? Why does it matter? Can we just love Jesus and not worry about that kind of stuff? Well, whenever questions like that come up, we want to be relentlessly biblical, right? Can anybody in favor of relentless? Yeah, only four of you. That's all. Right. All right. We just want, we want, to, we want the Bible to shape the way we think about the world. I, that's what I want. And I think that's what you want. And so when we come up with these questions about the future and how important is it, how should we think about it, we want to go to the text. Go to the Scriptures and just spend some time. We're probably going to need some extended time because very little is very clear very quickly. <laughs> you know, the mind of God is God's thoughts are above our thoughts and so He wants us to understand. He wants to make Himself known. But don't expect it to happen overnight. Some continued reflection is important. That's why we take things in series sometimes. So we can spend a number of weeks reflecting on kind of extended passages of Scripture or topics and understand what the Lord is wanting to do. But when it comes to the future and what we can expect, and when it comes to thinking about life after death and whatever may happen after that, we need to be relentlessly biblical. And if we insist on being relentlessly biblical, and we go to 1 Corinthians 15, and we raise those kinds of questions we imagine the Corinthians might be raised, we discover that for Paul, the bottom line is, if there's no resurrection, there's no Christian faith. Right, we need to get, you know, just wrap our minds around that. Right? We come to Paul, or the Corinthians come to Paul and say, hey, why does it matter, this stuff about resurrected bodies in the future? And Paul's answer is like, well, if it's not true, then I'm going home because this is a waste of time. Like for Paul, resurrection is the heart of the Christian faith. Not just Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection of all believers when he comes back. Like this is the heart of Christianity. And if we've left it off, Paul basically thinks you've just taken the whole Christian faith and dumped it in the trash. If you reject this piece of it. And so he wants to come along and he has this extended argument on the consequences. And this is where we're going to spend our time today, is mining the consequences of denying the resurrection. That's our topic. What are the consequences of denying the future, not Jesus' resurrection, believer's resurrection, future bodily resurrection for those who belong to Jesus? Paul's, Paul wants to say, you want to ask questions, you, you, you want to deny it? Consider the consequences. Like we tell that to our kids a lot, right? Think about the consequences. <laughs> well, today, Paul is saying that to all of us. You, you know, you want something different than bodies raised from the dead? Consider the consequences. 
Now, we need to understand, and this shows up in verses 12 and 13, that for Paul, the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all believers when Jesus comes back are really two pieces of one event. Maybe like two sides of the same coin. Can we put it that way? Listen to what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, and we, you know, we read the first uh, 11 verses, first 12 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 last week, and it looks like the Corinthians are on the same page with Paul with the resurrection of Jesus. They affirm Easter, yeah, we're cool with that. Jesus has been raised. That's exciting. You know, they would sing the Easter hymns with us, and they're good with that. You know, Christ the Lord has risen today if it had been written 1,700 years earlier. What they haven't done is understood that their resurrection is a piece of that. Future resurrection of believers is, is, is an Easter truth. Resurrection of Jesus, resurrection of the people who belong to Him go together. And that proposition is going to show up again and again and again as we work our way through 1 Corinthians 15 in the coming weeks. It's, it just comes up over and over and over again. If it's true for Jesus, it's true for those who belong to Jesus. If Christ has been proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So some of them are denying the resurrection of future, the future resurrection of believers. Verse 13, Paul says, here's the implication. If there's no resurrection of the dead, if this general truth in the future isn't real, here's the first consequence, then Christ has not been raised. Right? So he's sort of taking this gen, you know, resurrection in general. Human bodies being brought to life, not just back from the dead, but out through death and out the other side, we've said. Right? Incorruptible, unable to die again, unable to sin, just free and whole and complete and perfect, not hindered by the things that we, I mean, bodily life for us is, <laughs> it can be painful, it can involve shame and sadness and just guilt and a lot of people don't realize I'm almost blind. <laughs> you know, if I didn't have my contacts on, I'd be, well, I'd fall off the stage with them on, but I'd, you know, wouldn't be able to read my large print Bible. Physical, life in the body's tough. People preparing for surgery seldom think, well, I'm excited about having a body forever. <laughs> Paul wants to enlarge our vision. Say, no, no, no. Think about Jesus. Think about how his body came out of the tomb, restored and whole and well. That's your future. That's what's coming up. And those two things go together. They are one piece. Jesus' resurrection, the believer's resurrection, Jesus in the past, believers in the future, two sides of the same coin, two aspects of one event, Right? Resurrection is one thing, and it doesn't matter how much time comes in between the two, two pieces of it, it's still one thing. Right? That for Paul is the thing. Jesus gets raised, believers get raised, it's all one big harvest. And later in the chapter, he's going to use this harvest language. Jesus is the first fruits, you're the rest of the crop. When a farmer goes out and pulls in his crop, he doesn't. It's all one big thing, isn't it? Even if it takes quite some time to bring it in. <laughs> and Paul thinks about resurrection. It's all one thing. Jesus, us, it's all one thing. 
even if there are 2,000 years in between, or 4,000, or 10,000. It doesn't matter how many years you put in between Jesus' resurrection and the believer's resurrection. It's all one big thing, and that's Paul's conviction. It's a big piece of, I mean, it's just everything. And the folks in Corinth who are rejecting the future bodily resurrection of Jesus have not drawn the line from Jesus. They don't understand that it's all one thing. And if it can happen to Jesus' body, rest assured, it'll happen to the believer's body. So then Paul gets into the consequences. He's like, you've got to understand this. True for Jesus, it'll be true for us. And if it's not true for us, then, here the con- then it's not true for Jesus. And here are the consequences of that. And as we work through these, we'll see that for Paul, this is <laughs> like if this, is this one thing, if you give up on it, you've shipwrecked everything. The whole faith is just down the drain for him. Here's what he says. Take a look at verse 14. The first consequence of denying the resurrection is that preaching is useless. First consequence of denying the resurrection, preaching, what I'm doing right now, is a waste of time. (laughs) That's what he says, right? If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, our preaching, our preaching, Vocal declaration of the resurrection of Jesus is in vain. It's worthless. It's a waste of time. It's unnecessary. Right, so for Paul, and, and now this, think about the consequences of this, right? Because Christianity, for the last 2,000 years, has expanded on the back of preaching. Right? Paul was a preacher, and... The one thing that stayed consistent, the, I mean, well, a lot, several things stayed consistent. One of the things that stayed consistent for 2,000 years is believers gather on Sundays and listen to preaching. Hopefully it's good preaching. <laughs> Sometimes you may wonder. Uh, but, you, but, but this is what we do. We gather, and it seems, I mean, you think about it, it almost seems kind of crazy. We pull out a book that's 2,000 years old, and we spend half hour or so like, with some guy yelling about it. <laughs> It's a little wild, right? But but that's what we do, and that's what Christians do. And and we believe, mysteriously, surprisingly, that God is at work in that. And that's why we show up, because we want God to show up. And that's, for some strange reason, this is what he does. And Paul says, look, if there's no resurrection, if believers are not raised, then every preaching, all my preaching, and this guy preached all over the place. He traveled from city to city. Philippi, Corinth. All over the Ephesus, all over the place, preaching, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He said, if there's, no resur- if there's no resurrection of believers, then there's no resurrection of Jesus. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, I quit. I'm not going to preach. It's, it's, a, it's a vain practice. It's, un, it's un, unhelpful. Now, here's the consequence of that, number two. Right? Because preaching is about cultivating faith. Preaching is about cultivating faith. We proclaim the Scriptures. We explain the Scriptures. We come to, hey, maybe there's some things that makes it kind of hard to understand what's going on there. And maybe we can clear away some of the brush and, and hopefully understand better and hear God better and, and, and believe more, you know, in a, in a deeper way. And the Lord is at work in that. Paul says, look, if the dead aren't raised in the future, then Jesus hasn't been raised in the past. Preaching is a waste of time and your faith isn't a real thing, right? Because preaching and faith are intricately connected. We preach so that God can increase our faith. The means of great preaching is a means of grace so that God can grow our faith, so we can know Him better and have greater confidence in Jesus. 
But if Jesus is dead, you don't need confidence in Jesus. It's a waste of time. So he says, if Christ has not been raised, consequence number two, your faith is in vain. Preaching is a vain activity and your faith is a vain practice. <laughs> number three, it gets worse. You're thinking, how much worse could it get? Well, it gets even worse. If there's no resurrection for Paul, that means we're all liars. Because we've gone around saying God raised Jesus from the dead. And if there's no resurrection believers, Paul says, remember, there's, it's all the same thing. No resurrection of believers, no resurrection of Jesus. They go together. And the problem with that is we're all going around saying God raised Jesus from the dead. You Corinthians agree with that. We all believe it. But if there's no resurrection, it's not true. And that means we're lying about God. Verse 15, we're found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified of God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. Now, in the ancient world, growing up in a city like Corinth, you're going to understand. There's, you know, these folks grew up with gods all over the place, and these gods were not like the God revealed in Jesus, uh, because the God revealed in Jesus is consistent. <laughs> He's the one who says, "I'm unchanging. I'm going to treat you, and my character is going to be consistent you know, all the time." But the gods in the Roman world were <laughs> inconsistent at best. <laughs> I mean, these folks, you, you know, the Roman gods, you'd wake up in the morning, you didn't know if they're going to be happy and you know, bless you or be frustrated and you know, thump you in the ear, or kick you off the edge of the world or something. Like, you just never know how Zeus is going to regard you. You never know how Athena is going to regard you. You never know what they're going to do with you, whether it's going to be good or bad. So you want to treat them the right way. <laughs> like... You know, those people, you never know quite how, they're gonna, how it's going to work. You want to treat those kind of folks the right way. And hopefully they'll be nice to you. And so you, the last thing you want to do about someone who you want to treat the right way is lie about them, right? So, I mean, you can see how he's kind of trying to dig in here to that Roman way of thinking. The last thing you want to do is lie about the gods. They will not appreciate that. It will not go well for you if you lie about the gods. So he's, it's this... The great sin of the ancient world is impiety, a lack of reverence for the gods, not participating in the, the devotion of the people for the gods. So he's saying, look, you don't want to do that with the God who raised Jesus from the dead. You don't want to lie about him. Bad things. It's not where you want to go. That's number three, lying about God, impiety. Number four, again, it even gets worse. Verse 16, if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised. Again, you can see how that is kind of the chorus of the passage. It just goes all the way through. Resurrection of all believers, resurrection of Jesus, it's all one thing. It goes together. If one's true, the other one's true. The dead are not raised, verse 16, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, 17, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Now this is a Sit with this for a minute. This is where the bottom line comes out. Right? If there's no resurrection, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. There's no Christianity without this. Right? Because if faith is a waste of time and we're still in our sins, then like, there's no Christianity. <laughs> like, that's the point of it, is salvation, rescue, getting out of sin and condemnation and judgment, and my life is filled up with all these things that, you know, that... that 
that, that make me feel guilty and condemnation and ashamed and hurt other people. And it's just a mess and I need Jesus to rescue me from that. And so I trust in Him to save me from my sin and not just save me from the consequences and penalty of my sin, but to save me from their power. Like I want to be saved from the power of my sin today. And I need Jesus to do that. And Paul says, look, you may want to be saved from the power of sin in your life, but if there's no resurrection, forget it. It's not an option. Your faith is a waste of time, and you're still in your sins. If there's no resurrection for Paul, there's no Christian faith. It's just not, it's a myth. If there's no resurrection, Christian faith is a myth for Paul. That's the consequence. And that makes sense, right? Because if resurrection is a myth and Jesus hasn't been raised, then who would want to put their faith in a dead guy? Anybody? That's one of those where you don't raise your hand. Good job. A little trick question in case. Make sure you're awake. This is the one person that's raising their hand for everything. You don't want to do that. There's no resurrection. Jesus is dead. There's no resurrection. Jesus is dead, and he has no power to save me from my sin. If he's dead, he has no power to set me free from sin. If he's dead, he has no power to, to liberate me in the moment. If he's dead, he cannot show up when I am in that moment of temptation where I'm struggling, and maybe I want to like fly off the handle, or my kids have done something, or I'm just frustrated about something at church. And I just want to, you know, it's there and I'm tempted and I want to kind of cave into that self-oriented, self-focused thing. And Jesus needs to show up and set me free and help me deal with that. If he's dead, he can't do that. If there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised, you're still in your sin, your faith is a waste of time. That's what Paul says. So, when it, so if the Corinthians raise the why does it matter question, Paul says, because there's no such thing as Christianity without. Like we have, we have to, we need to be thinking about future resurrection of human bodies who belong to Jesus as the center of our faith because it's deeply tied together with the resurrection of Jesus, which is the ground of our faith. Like those two things are the same. They go together. They go together. You can't separate the one from the other. Jesus is raised, but not everybody else. No, his, his hope is our hope. It's all the same. And, other, and without it, it's just, just go home. No reason to even be here without it. Now, there's a lot of stuff that tries to pass for Christian preaching out there. Maybe you've heard it from time to time. I don't know. It just sort of says, you know, Jesus was a really swell guy. Had a lot of nice sort of ethical teaching. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this resurrection stuff. And probably it was just like, you know, there, I, there's one guy, one New Testament scholar guy who says all the disciples just had like one big mass communal hallucination. <laughs> Resurrected Jesus, just kind of like a big, you know, or maybe they were dream, maybe it was a spirit and they just didn't, they, you know, there's all these reasons why the resurrection didn't happen. And you see here, resurrection of believers and the resurrection of Jesus for Paul like you don't get to run those lines of argument. You, you can't sort of make, you can't excuse your way out of this. You know, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around coming through death and out the other side. I've never actually seen that before. Can't put it in a test tube. It's not like, uh, you know, 
Let's make a hypothesis and try it out. You don't want to do that. It's not going to work out well. <laughs> we can't sidestep resurrection, whether it's us or Jesus. We go together. It's what Easter is about. It's why we worship on Sunday, because we hope to get raised from the dead. But Paul says it. Verse 17 if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. There's no resurrection. There's no Christian faith. End of story. Then he goes on. <laughs> Again, you think, man, it can't, still, it just can't get bad from this. But, but Paul, is, this is one of those deals where, like, a lot of times he's really encouraging. And other times it's like he's taking a stick and just, like, poking you in the side. And just, like, you know, just, he just won't, he won't let up. He's relentless here. He's, You've got to understand the consequences of this. Like he's got children or something. He's just pressing it in. Christ hasn't been raised. Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Verse 18, then those who have died. <laughs> it's like you think it's just bad for you. Let's think about your grandma and your parents and all those people you love who are dead. Those who have died in Christ have perished. Like, forget, for Paul, forget any hope of life beyond this life, life after death, if there's no resurrection. Like, if you want to be relentlessly biblical, even if it's a weird kind of new concept, because honestly, there's far too few sermons on this. I'm grateful that we live in a day where the scholars are writing and preachers are preaching more about this. We're recovering. It's coming back. That's good because it's just Bible. <laughs> if we want to be solidly scriptural folks, I mean, you're reading it with me this morning. It's there. It's very clear. It, he really couldn't be more clear, could he? <laughs> just thing after thing. If, Christ, if, if there's no resurrection, Christ has not been raised, he's dead. And that means those who've, Christ, who've died in Christ have perished. There's no hope for them. They're not in heaven with Jesus. They've perished. It's over. Right, now for Paul, if you're a believer and you die, you enter into the presence of Jesus. Whatever that means. I mean, he doesn't say a lot about it. He mentions it a little bit in Philippians chapter 1. mentions it a little bit in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. He doesn't say a lot about it. He just sort of assumes it. You die, you're with Jesus. That's good. Close to Jesus is good, isn't it? You know, and so we've said this, and we're very clear, because a lot of times I talk about resurrection, and people say, what about heaven? I'm, we're not denying heaven. <laughs> Just part one, part two kind of thing. Right? So we've talked about this. I'm going to say it again. I may say it again next week, because I just want it to be clear. New Testament teaches when a believer dies, there are two kind of two phases to what's, what's next. Go to be with Jesus and then when Jesus comes back, he brings them along and raises the body of that person from the dead so that it's like his body, incorruptible and immortal. Sin is not a problem anymore. Death is not a problem anymore. They've come through death, out the other side, as one theologian puts it. So, I mean, just think about these consequences for Paul, right? Consequences of denying the resurrection. Preaching is useless. Faith is a waste of time. You're liars about God. You're still in your sins, and your loved ones have perished. 
<laughs> Anybody want to sign up for that? <laughs> I mean, he just, he's, it's, he just hammers it over. Do we, so here's my next question. Do you think Paul thinks this is important? <laughs> A little bit, right? I mean, wow. I, I can't, honestly, there's not much else he expends this much energy on. Maybe in Galatians it gets pretty intense. I mean, go read that and you think, yeah, he's pretty serious about the stuff going on over there where he wants Jews and Gentiles eating together and working together, eating ministry. You start trying to split it up and make two different kinds of peoples of God, Paul gets really upset about that. But of all the things that he really argues against, I mean, this is one of the big ones. I mean, he takes this seriously. And if we want to be serious Bible people, we've got to take it seriously too. It's very clear. It's not one of those texts that's like, what does he really mean there? I mean, it's one of the, <laughs> nobody is going, so Paul, what do you really think about it? You know, it's one of those deals, you know, when somebody just like yells and hollers and rants for a little while and someone jokingly says, tell us what you really mean. Tell us how you really feel. We know how he feels. <laughs> and if we believe that the Spirit of God has inspired 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, for our good so that we can know God better, know what He wants for us, know His best for us, and live into that, then we need to let this shape the way we think about everything. The world, life, and the future. He wraps it up with I think Paul kind of wraps it up this, this, this part, anticipating an objection. Because you can kind of see somebody coming along. In fact, I've heard this in churches before, too. You can kind of see somebody coming along going, okay, Paul, I, we get it. It's a big deal. Resurrection matters. But, you know, let's just, let's just have a little wager. Let's just say, you know, maybe faith is futile. And maybe there's no resurrection. Maybe, Jesus, maybe this whole Christian thing is a myth. And maybe we'll die and we'll discover that it's not real. At least we had a satisfied life following Jesus in this life. I've heard church people say this sort of thing before, you know. If I get to the end and discover that Christianity was just one among many options or wasn't even the real option, then, you know, I've had a real satisfied life following Jesus in this life. Well, here's what Paul says about that. You think, he's gonna, you think Paul's going to affirm that wager? <laughs> it's kind of a bet, you know. If it's true, it all works out well, and if it's false, well, it was a good life. <laughs> you know, win either way. Paul says to that, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ... We are above all people in the world the most to be pitied. He's not interested in a wager, is he? It's not like a, hey, if it turns out it's not true, after all, we can just kind of know we lived a good life in Jesus or something. Paul's like, no, he's dead. If it's not true, he's dead. <laughs> and you believed a lie, and you're gullible, and you've given your life to declaring the glories of a corpse. Shame and pity on you. This guy's serious. He spares no energy making the case. For Paul, resurrection, this may sound strange to us. For Paul, resurrection of the body is everything. Right? The cross is not enough. <laughs> That's surprising. For Paul, the cross is not enough. Redemption is not accomplished only with Jesus' death and, and without his resurrection. And if he died and he's still dead, it's not enough. 
Because we need more than forgiveness, don't we? We need new life. The cross is not enough because we need more than forgiveness. Jesus' blood is shed to forgive our sins, and that's the end of it. Forgiveness is great, but it's not enough. You need your sins forgiven, but you also need to be set free from the power of that death. So Easter's about new life, isn't it? We need forgiveness. We also need new life. And that new life starts when we meet Jesus for the first time. And it keeps growing and growing as we worship and pray and study the scriptures and serve and do mission. It just grows and grows. That new life grows. Works its way into more aspects of our lives, our mind, our thinking, our bodies. It grows, and it keeps growing until the day Jesus comes back. And our bodies, to quote the scriptures, are covered up in life. Right? That's what resurrection. Resurrection is about life. Died and gone to heaven doesn't mean you're more alive than ever, friends. I've been to way too many funerals where people say, hey, my loved one's dead and they're more alive than ever. I don't, that does not make sense. Friend. I'm sorry if you said that. <laughs> Just relentlessly biblical, right? <laughs> D.L. Moody, I think, was famous for this whole, you know, when word of my death spreads, don't believe it, I'll be more alive than ever. That's just not the way the Bible talks about it. Paul is not saying that your loved ones who have died in Christ are more alive than ever. He said, they will be. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, you'll be more alive than ever. When that casket busts open, you'll be more alive than ever. But when Jesus was in, when his body was in the tomb, ain't nobody was saying he's more alive than ever right now, spiritual in heaven kind of thing. No, they went home and went back to work because he was dead and it was over. When his body came out of the grave, then he was more alive than ever. And when Jesus comes back, and our bodies are given immortality, then we'll be more alive than ever. Why does this matter? Because it's about life. Life in its fullness. Life as God always intended. God never intended human life to be this daily struggle and pain where we're just, I do something and I'm shamed about it and I'm convicted and I ask forgiveness and the next day I do it and I'm shamed about it and I ask forgiveness and I'm convicted and the next day it's just over and over and over and over again which is so the American gospel is so much Jesus will forgive you but don't ever expect to really get free and nobody would actually say it that way but we kind of live it that way you're just going to keep it's going to keep you're never going to get free so hope you get forgiven the New Testament comes along and says Jesus wants to give you life to begin renewing you now and is going to bring that life to its fullness at the resurrection that's the process jesus comes out of the grave new life for the world you meet jesus for the first time new life for you and then when he comes back that new life characterizes your whole full embodied human being and paul says if that's not real i'm going home there's no such thing as christianity so the question is really one of hope. Do you want hope? Do you really want hope? And if you do want hope, are you willing, are we willing, am I willing to let the Scriptures define the shape of that hope? And here's why it matters. Let's say you're going on a trip somewhere you've never been before. What's the first thing you do? 
I left my phone over there. I say, hey, Google, navigate to Michigan or somewhere, right? Because if I don't know the destination, I'll never be able to get there. Or I'll wind up in California trying to get to Michigan. I'll figure it out. (laughs) Right? Back in the, you know, when I was a teenager, we'd get on Yahoo Maps or something and put it in. You had to print it off and take it with you. Some of you remember an atlas and had one of those in your car. I have no idea how you survived, but you did (laughs) right there. (laughs) Hey, Google, take me to my destination. Well, hey, how about, hey, Jesus, what's the destination? And Jesus says the destination is full life. The destination is the defeat of death. The destination is hope and joy and glory and beauty. The destination is eyes that can see and limbs that don't break and hearts that don't get clogged up and livers that don't fail and lungs that don't get cancer. That's the f- Jesus says that's the future. It's life set free from the curse of death. And if that's what you want, then let the Scriptures shape your hope. And then we begin begin to realize that the things we do between now and then tell the world what we really believe in. Some of you are going to Louisiana this summer. You're going to have an opportunity to point the way forward to the people you meet. You're going to have the opportunity to tell the story and live like resurrection's coming. We believe in a God who gives life. That's why we're here. You're going to meet people who need to know Jesus gives life. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) And you're going to run into somebody who needs to know Jesus gives life. Jesus gives life. That life comes to its climax, to its fullness in the resurrection of the body. And without it, Christianity has nothing to offer.